Hello, everyone, and welcome to Animation One-to-Ones, brought to you by Squiggly Online Animation Magazine. Although, in this case, it's Animation Three-to-One, as we welcome three incredible animation production talents from the Academy Award-nominated studio Tonko House. I'm Ben Mitchell, Editor-in-Chief at Squiggly, and I'm very pleased to be welcoming back Daisutsumi and Robert Kondo, the founders of Tonko House, who are joined by their producer, Sarah K. Sampson, who came on board for their new Netflix series, Oni Thunder God's Tale, a four-part animated series released today on Netflix. The series takes place in a world filled with the oddball gods and monsters of Japanese mythology, where one of the creature's free-spirited daughters, Unari, is determined to follow in the footsteps of the mighty heroes of lore. But her unique powers are yet to be revealed, and her peaceful village is under the encroaching threat of the gods' mysterious enemies, the Oni. Oni Thunder God's Tale is written by Mari Okada, with Dice taking the reins as creator and directing showrunner, and Robert producing alongside Sarah. With the cast including Mamona Tamada, Archie Yates and Craig Robinson, the series has been brought to life by a trifecta of high-end CG production houses, Megalus VFX, Mazza, and Anima, working in tandem with Tonka House to create a visually compelling world and tell a story that explores broad folkloric themes alongside more universally relatable concepts, such as self and cultural identity. So without further ado, let's hear from Daisutsumi, Robert Kondo, and Sarah Sampson of Tonko House. Robert and Dice, it's uh, great to talk to you again. It's been a little yeah. while. Uh, Sarah, I don't think we've uh, talked to you before, no, uh, which might you. be a good starting off point. Maybe you could tell us a bit about uh, your role at Tonko and uh, what you've been doing with the show. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm the producer of Oni. I joined Tonko House, let's see, back in February 2020. And I joined specifically for Oni. And it has been a wonderful, incredible journey <laughs> making this, this vision, this dream a reality. And it feels very surreal to be on, on the cusp of launch day. So, yeah, this is in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, well, I got to see um, uh, the first episode. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really quite something. It's come together really nicely. So uh, congratulations to all of you, first of all. Um, Thanks, Ben. I, uh, I know you're all, you know, crucial to the process. I did get the impression that this particular show was especially like important to you, Dice. Would that be correct? Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I hope it's important to everybody. But yes, I, I it did originate it from my first, you know, sort of genesis of like the idea. And then we kind of came together and made it together, of course. So with that original idea, then did that come from uh, your sort of personal experience or was it a particular area or i guess a, a subject matter that you're particularly um, enthusiastic about the original concept of this whole idea um the oni um oni is a villain villain character in japanese folklore it's very famous every, every japanese folklore stories you always have oni as the bad guys right <laughs> and then um but there was an interesting kind of historical theory i've heard uh, i've read that um, Oni legends often come from the regions where foreigners or the indigenous people who look different from Japanese locals. That's in the back in the days, you know. But I, I thought it was really interesting that people saw other people who look different from them and they were like, oh my God, that, those are monsters. And then all of a sudden they became villains in their folklore stories. That concept of like, you know, oh, making things you don't know or people you don't understand 
villains or you get scared of them, I felt like that's a story that we need to tell today. You know, it felt very current to what's happening to the world. So the concept of Oni uh, kind of came from that. How we unfold the story from that is more like after that. But then that concept is kind of how everything got started. Um, because personally, I lived in the United States as a foreigner for 30 years. And my son is growing up as a Japanese American. You know, uh, he's 10 years old. And uh, he's always going to have this moment of like, oh, do I belong here? Is, am, I, am I American or am I Japanese? You know, um, and that sort of question of like, where do I belong? Who am I? Um, that was very personal to me. Like, I wanted to tell that story of like the fear that people tend to have with other people or other things that they don't understand. I think I could really tell my story. But then when I shared that concept with Robert or Sarah, when we tried to bring her on as a producer, everybody felt like, I know that story. I can relate to the story because I have that story myself. And it just became everybody's personal story, even though it originated from my personal, you know, inspiration. You definitely get the sense of that in the, uh, the first episode. Um, and that is a really sort of good functional kind of jumping off point for, uh, for what's to come. So yeah, it was written by uh, Marie Okada. And um, yeah, I was interested in how you came to pair up with her or if you'd been fans of hers before. Yeah, let, let me uh, answer that question too. Mari is, uh, you know, as you may know, like she's one of the prominent uh, Japanese writers. Uh, and uh, I just liked her work before, you know, um, and her strength I always felt was to be able to write characters when they're in the vulnerable stages, you know, or uh, deeper in in their sort of character emotions. And especially she's not afraid of uh, touching up on the darkness inside characters. Um, so I was always a huge fan of her, her work. I, you know, we approached her just to say, hey, like, you know, is there any possibility we can work together because uh, from the dam keeper to Moom to the stories that we've done at Tonko House, we always touch upon the darkness and the light within uh, character themselves. It's not like bad guys and good guys, you know. And we felt like Mari Okada and Tonko House would be able to a huge, like really great collaboration. I did not think, you know, Mari would be available to work on Oni because, you know, I assume she would be super busy. And I knew she was directing her own movie at the time but she said yes she you know just like sarah just like robert when i pitched that idea of oni she's like i can say that as my story i relate to the story and i want to write it and the rest of the history and it is you know it was really challenging because you know she wrote it in japanese and we translated and we wrote more in english and we went back and forth japanese english japanese english so this really uh, only original language of Oni is both Japanese and English. And um, we are so kind of excited that, you know, we kind of attack two languages together to bring this whole story together. The, um, the characters as well, the sort of populated world, and they're so kind of varied and eclectic. And 
I was sort of curious as to whether they were kind of her character concepts or if that was something you as a team kind of worked on with her to sort of develop, you know, the different kind of looks of the characters in this world. You know, the, the, the characters really came out of, it's interesting when we develop things, you know, a lot of Hollywood, a lot of uh, different filmmakers start ideas different ways. Both Dice and I come from an illustration background. And so a lot of our concepts start with a single image. Oni's no different. The very start of all of this was a single image for one of our exhibitions that we do in Japan. And each of the characters were actually emanated from Dice. So Dice sort of would put down a sketch and then, you know, it, it sort of found, not all of them found their way into this uh, part of the story, but um but all of these sketches that he would do would end up being the characters. And then Mari and Dice would work together along with our um, editor, uh, Bradley Furnish, would all work together as a writing team to bring those characters to life. Yeah. And as with uh, all of your work, it's really sort of factored in certain visual qualities that sets it apart from other projects. And um, yeah, could you talk maybe a bit about the overall kind of visual development on this and how you got it looking the precise way it looks now? Because I imagine it was probably quite a meticulous process. Yeah, I got to say this is a, the superpower of Tonko House to me is just understanding design on the most foundational level um, and building a design language that our team can in turn run with and move very quickly with. Um, so a big shout out to Robert, our production designer, and Rachel, our art director, and of course, Dice, just their intimate understanding of design. We, we work to build these very detailed packets and we call them the Bibles of environments. You know, how can we populate a forest in the fastest possible way, but equip our team with the foundation, the knowledge of what we want this forest to become. So through that method, we're not reviewing every single tree, every single rock, but instead we're just, you know, moving as quickly as possible. And the team has that, that trust to move forward. I mean, Ben, early on, one thing I will mention is that early on, uh, we did a stop motion collaboration with Dwarf uh, Studios in Japan. They're a stop motion studio. They did beautiful work. We did a sort of a little test um, in stop motion. And really that became, between that and uh, Dice did a, a research trip with Mari um, to Yakushima Forest in the south of Japan, which is the oldest growth forest in Japan and was also Miyazaki's inspiration for Mononoke. Um, but Dice's research trip there and wanting to capture the feeling of that forest, along with this early experimentation and stop motion with Dwarf, really gave us our, our, a clear visual direction that we wanted to go towards, which is really trying to create something that felt tactile. Um, and, um, and at the same time, epic, big, you know, wanted to feel like a big forest. Um, and so that, those were really big, big tentpoles for us visually. So was Dwarf then involved in the production of the series once you're working on the episodes, or was it just for those kind of like pre-production visual experiments? Basically, originally this this project was going to be fully uh, animated in stop motion. Um, and we, in the middle, on, in the journey, we switched to CG, uh, mainly because the story became uh, big and epic that we felt the need of 
using the the medium that we feel most comfortable with, which is CGing. Um, as you know, many of us come from Pixar, and um, but our love of stop motion just you know still stayed and trying to capture the feeling of the tactile quality or the limited frames to just try to focus more on the strong poses. And um, so even though the Dwarf Studio did the pilot, at the time we were hoping that we would finish the whole thing with Dwarf. Um, even after we switched to CG, the, the test animation we did with Dwarf became our sort of like a guiding, you know, Bible. Um, and uh, so Dorf was involved in the very beginning in pre-production in the in the hindsight, um, and then you know Megalis uh, uh, VFX, and then also Mars Animation Planet and Anima. Those three studios uh, together with Tonko House made the full CG animated um, production, hoping to capture that feeling we were able to get with Dorf's test. If that makes sense. So you have the you have three studios then as well as you. Is that like a hard thing, kind of coordinating, getting everything consistent, or is it like does everyone kind of have that very clearly defined role on the production? Definitely, Sarah, you should uh, talk about that. Sarah was like magic magician to just bring everything together. So please, Sarah. It was so easy. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, you know, one thing, because we're all separated by, by time zones, you know, it, it definitely took a lot of effort to stay in touch and communication. And typically when you're working with uh, other production studios, there's, there's a wall, right? Like you can't contact artists directly. You can only work through leadership. But we were very intentional about breaking down that wall and building a direct line between artists and DICE and all of our creative leadership on the team. And it really just made us feel like one team, the only crew. Um, so I feel like that was very successful, constantly slacking, constantly meeting, but it just really felt like we were all in this together. And that's one thing, uh, Ben, I just want to uh, 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 sort of emphasize what, you know, Sarah was able to do is because it's actually a lot more work for production team, like, you know, producers and production managers to make sure that we feel like we're one team, which means that the, as a director, I was able to talk to every single animator, every single artist, every single, you know, technical directors, uh, as if they're in the same building. And oftentimes these days when remote productions, you know, vendor versus client type of a relationship is so common in the world of animation production these days, you know, a lot of overseas productions, but this, this doesn't happen very often because it's actually more work. You know, you, you just bring everybody together as opposed to just only supervisors talk to each other. We wanted to make sure that doesn't happen with Oni so that everybody feels like they are a part of the team. And really huge credit to Sarah and her team to make sure that feels natural. That's more work, but but it's worth it, you know? So just wanted to kind of emphasize that part. Excellent. Well, uh, yeah, lastly, I guess, um, uh, thinking back to the Dam Keeper, that being the project that essentially kind of started the journey of Tonko House, uh, and it's had kind of a life across different forms of media, you know, longer form, graphic novels, that sort of thing. And I was curious if you had any kind of similar expanded plans for the world of Oni. Oni is 
like the dam keeper dice and i creatively come from a, a, a even within the art department working on these bigger studio films we come from designing worlds and lighting worlds and um and so when we create these things we always think of it as a world um so i do feel like this series is a peek into that world and i do hope that there's more we don't have anything immediately planned um but there are definitely more stories to be told in this world and there's there's like i said before dice has illustrations of characters that were fantastic and wonderful but didn't make sense for this series but i do hope in time that we're able to bring you know more to the world because i think they're there are more lessons in this world. There are more things to offer, I think, to our audience and to the world that, that Tonko House has to say through this world. Um, so I hope so. But there is more. There is more. Excellent. Only Thunder God's Tale is streaming now on Netflix, and you can check out the work of Tonko House at tonkohouse.com. They're also on Instagram, at Tonko House, as are at Robert Kondo and at Daisutsumi. And you can find Sarah Sampson at sarahksampson.com, also on Instagram at Syra underscore K. For more great animation content, be sure to subscribe to Animation One to Ones on our YouTube channel or Squiggly Animation Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at Squiggly, Instagram at Squiggly Animation, and Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine. The website, of course, is Squiggly.com. I've been Ben Mitchell, and until next time, happy animation. <laughs> <laughs>